Hello to all on this beautiful Sunday afternoon coming to you from Tyler, Texas. It's been a beautiful sunny day with clear, sunshiny blue skies and a nice, very cool morning. I hope that you are doing well and that your family and loved ones are all well. Uh, we are looking forward to continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark uh, today as we have been doing every Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Central Daylight Time. We also have, of course, our study of the book of Colossians on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, from uh, about 3 o'clock to about 3.30. And uh, I hope that you're able to take part in that as well. This week will be the finishing up week for that study. But we do have a few more lessons here in uh, the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters. We're on chapter 13 today. And so we'll probably... Uh, have a couple of lessons for a couple of the longer chapters in the most significant event in history that we begin to read about uh, next week. And uh, that's, of course, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see some names popping up here. Larry and Lynn Murphy, I saw y'all from a distance this morning, and it was great to see you. Also, my dear sister Barbara Kasky, hello, hello. Pat Slade, a regular attender to these lessons. I appreciate that uh, so much, Pat, and I'm sure that we'll have some others that'll join in. Some will say hello, some won't, and that's A-OK -okay with me. I appreciate uh, you taking part in these in these studies. My dear friends, Cindy and Eric Mosley, also joining us as we uh, begin. Uh, perhaps, you, uh, <laughs> perhaps you noticed the title of this lesson, and it probably brought a visual uh, the, the title of the lesson, The End is Near. And so now you're probably seeing that uh, kind of um, older looking person that looks like they've fallen on some hard times uh, carrying a, uh, a sign that says the end is near uh, with this kind of uh, hollow haunting look on their face. And, uh, and so I thought that it would be good for us to consider that as we look at Mark chapter 13. Because um, I think that Jesus does talk about some things that are going to uh, be taking place in the future. Uh, some of it in the near-term future for the Jews living in Jerusalem and others. Uh, and also something for the more longer-term future event uh, when he will uh, return. Um, so that's the question. When is the world going to end? That's the question that we tend to spend a lot of time on. And when will Jesus return? And my experience after a lifetime, pretty much, of studying the Bible for ministry and teaching and preaching is that God doesn't tend to care too much about that question. Um, doesn't matter to him time. He is eternal. And so he's fine with taking as much time as he wants this morning in our Bible class, we've been looking through the book by Amy Morin, uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. I recommend that book. It's a good study. It's pretty much a self-help book. But as I have been using it in our Family Life Center class, I also put a lot of scripture to it, which she does not do. But having interacted with her some years ago, it was something that she had on her mind as she wrote these things. And, uh, and so she was glad to hear that I was using it in that context. But uh, one of the things that are in that list, and it's the one that's number 13 that we talked about uh, today, and, and that is that they uh, mentally strong people are, don't seek immediate gratification. They don't expect immediate results. They're willing to be patient. 
they're willing to uh, see things take time and not be so concerned with the when question. That doesn't describe us, does it? Certainly doesn't describe our society and our culture. Uh, we want to know the when, and I'm not sure why, but I have a theory. My theory is that we want to know the when question so that we'll be ready. And, and the other side of that is we don't want to be ready every day. We just want to be ready right before he comes. And Jesus uh, doesn't give us that. Jesus calls on us to be faithful every single day. And then when he does come, that'll be fine. And if he doesn't come for our whole lifetime, that'll be fine too. Uh, we've been 2,000 years almost since Jesus spoke these words. And, um, and it could be another 2,000 years uh, before his return. Um, Peter, the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, another passage we read this morning in our study, uh, says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And if that's the case, and it's only been two days since Jesus uh, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. So it hasn't been very long at all in the, the way God measures time. But it also says in 2 Peter 3 that the reason that hasn't happened already it's not because the world is so good. It's actually the opposite. Uh, God is patient. He is long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to die. He created us to be in relationship with him for eternity. And so he wants that to happen. Um, and so therefore, he continually gives people another chance and opportunity to repent. That's what he wants. He wants all to come to repentance. Um, one day, as we are going to read today, um, that won't be the case any longer. Uh, God's patience will be complete, and he will say, um, no more. And to his son, he will say, go. And so the question, when is the world going to end? When is Jesus going to return? It's not the right question. Uh, two better questions are, is Jesus coming back? Do we really believe that? Uh, recently, we uh, celebrated the Easter uh, holiday. And, and the question is, do we really believe that the tomb is empty? Do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And so do we really believe that he is going to return? And if that's the case, we say we do. And if that's the case, then how should that impact the way we live? What scripture is uh, mostly interested in uh, communicating the gospel message of salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ but it doesn't stop there. <laughs> the teaching of scripture is meant to tell us, well, here's how you ought to live because that is true, because the tomb is empty, because Jesus will return. That great passage that I mentioned in 2 Peter 3 talks about that. As uh, Peter says, you know, it's it, uh, God is not willing and wanting anyone to perish, to die, but he wants all to come to repentance. Um, but he does say in that chapter, but the day of the Lord will come. One day he will return. And so the question then is in 2 Peter 3, in light of that truth, what kind of person ought you to be? What kind of life ought you to live? That is the more important question. The when question is not answered in scripture. Uh, we won't know until he comes.
But there is something else that is given in Scripture. There's something else that is given in these words of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' teaching on this matter, uh, this event. Uh, perhaps there were several times where Jesus talked about this. They all talk about it from the perspective of uh, his disciples uh, and others noticing how wonderful the temple was uh, that uh, King Herod had uh, renovated from the time of the exile return. And so they were very proud of that. They were very proud of that. And so Jesus has some things to say about that. So the passage begins in the first four verses with the wrong question. Um, in Mark 13, verses one through four, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Well, that would get our attention, don't you think? And that leads them to further discussion. Verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? When? When? When are these things going to happen? And that is the wrong question. It, it truly is the wrong question. We are reminded of Luke chapter 10. That's Luke's version of Jesus telling the greatest and the second greatest commandments. When he is asked, he says, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, quoting from Deuteronomy 6. And then also uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus 19. Well, that leads the man who is asking the question to another question, which is, well, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? If I have to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? Where can I put the limit on who I have to love? This next Sunday uh, in our Roman study on Sunday mornings at West Irwin Church of Christ, we'll be in chapter 13. We started that great chapter this morning, but we'll be in the verses that start at verse 8 that talk about that second great commandment and how it is the fulfillment of the law. Well, Jesus himself in that context in Luke 10 doesn't answer the man's question of who is my neighbor, who do I have to love, but rather he tells him that great parable, the story of the Good Samaritan, and he asks him the right question. Which one was neighborly? Which one showed love to the man who had fallen among thieves? And of course the answer was uh, the Samaritan. Uh, and so here it's the wrong question as well. When is the wrong question? So let's see what Jesus has to say about this physical temple. Mark 13, beginning at verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. That right there should tip us off that when is the wrong question. Jesus says, it, you're going to hear all kinds of things, and he's going to go on with that as well. Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. And it's interesting to me that people today will say, oh, well, because we're having all of these national uh, natural tragedies, earthquakes and um, uh, hurricanes and all of that, it must mean that the end is near. Well, no, no. <laughs> Jesus says exactly the opposite here. <laughs> these things are always going to happen. 
And he says, don't panic when someone comes and says that it's happening. Um, and Jesus tells us why we don't have to worry about that and be uh, afraid. Uh, and that has to do with how we're living our lives every day. Uh, verse 9, you must be on your guard. That's the key. Be on your guard. And the when question doesn't matter. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, Mark 13, 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I think that is such a critical verse. We tend to think that God is going to take care of us so much so that we're not going to have to suffer. And Jesus says exactly the opposite. Not only does he say that following him will save us from suffering, he doesn't say that at all. In fact, he says, following me is going to make your life worse at times in this world. And he tells the disciples, much like he does in Matthew 10 and uh, uh, John 16 and 17 and other places. And he tells them, look, people are going to cause you to suffer thinking that they're doing the Father's will. Again, verse 13, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That should be our focus, standing firm to the end. Whenever that end is, doesn't matter if we're standing firm on a day-to-day -day basis. Not perfectly, of course, but faithfully trusting in the one who died for us. Verse 14, a difficult reading. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because there, those will be days of distress, unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be revealed again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Well, again, we have taken those words and we have said these are the signs of his coming or the signs of this destruction. And what Jesus is saying is these, these are non-signs. These are things that are going to be happening. And while it's difficult for us to understand these words exactly, I, I think we can look at this teaching and we can say, okay, well, what can I understand? Uh, you know, we, he says, let the reader understand. Let Mark says that, or Jesus says, let the, let the person, the reader, the listener understand. And we want to say, Lord, I don't understand. And it may be that in the first century, as Jesus was sharing these things, they, they had a little bit better insight into it all. I don't know. But let's talk about what we can know. 
he talks about uh, not going on the rooftop. He talks about heading for the hills. He talks about it would it's going to be harder for a woman who is pregnant during that time. And and we want to say, well, if he's talking about the end of the world here, those things aren't going to matter. It's not going to matter where you are. It's not going to happen. Matter what condition you're in, health wise. Um, whether you're pregnant or not, whether you have children or not, whether you have a place to run and hide or not, none of those things is going to matter. But as he's talking about this event, those things will matter. And so I believe, and I think this is uh, what many others have said, not everybody, but I, th I think what Jesus is talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened, led by the Romans uh, in AD 70, 70 of the Common Era, uh, when the Romans came in and destroyed uh, Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple uh, that Jesus is talking about, that the disciples were so proud of and the Jews were so proud of. And Jesus says, it's all going to be destroyed. Well, why is that? Well, because that's what happens to physical things. <laughs> they get destroyed. And yet we put so much trust in physical things, so much trust. And God is saying, look, those things don't last forever. They just don't. Nations don't. Governments don't. Temples don't. Buildings don't. But God does. And so he's calling us to place our trust in him. And so I really think that these are not signs at all, but non-signs. Jesus saying, look, these things are going to happen. And I do believe that uh, the, these passages were fulfilled uh, when the Romans came in and stormed the temple and destroyed it and um, and blasphemed the Lord and, and uh, were there where they shouldn't have been, fulfilling those words of Daniel and others. And then it seems like he may take a little bit different turn in verse 24. Matthew, uh, Mark 13, verse 24. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. We'll come back to that. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs got tender and its leaves came out, you knew that summer is next. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting statement, that last statement, because it tells us that this is something that's going to happen in a relatively short amount of time. And I, I understand it's difficult to apply where in this passage Jesus is speaking about the destruction of the temple, if that's how we understand it, versus when he's talking about his return, because I believe both are spoken about. But I don't think it's uh, it happens until this last paragraph we're going to read about that. Well, Bill, what about that sun darkened? Moon will not give its light. Stars will fall from the sky. Heavenly bodies will be shaken. Well, that is what we call apocalyptic literature. It's talking about uh, something that is going to happen that is extraordinary. It's not commonplace. It's kind of like uh, something weird happens on TV and somebody says, well, that's something you don't see every day. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. This is going to be something that you don't see every day. This is going to be something extraordinary. 
And um, well, Bill, doesn't that mean the end of the world? No, not necessarily, because scripture uses apocalyptic language to describe extraordinary events. Uh, how do you know that, Bill? Well, do a little bit of reading on apocalyptic as uh, a genre of literature. And one of the places that you can go in scripture is Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as you know, incredible, extraordinary things happened. They began to speak in other languages. They had tongues of fire. There was not, This is not something that you see every day. And salvation uh, was preached through repentance uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. Well, interestingly enough, what Peter does in that sermon in Acts 2 is he quotes from an Old Testament prophet, Joel, from Joel chapter 2. And he talks about the words that Joel uses in that quote in Acts 2, verses 16 through 21. And Joel says much, almost exactly the same thing that Jesus says here. And Peter incorporates it into his sermon. And he says specifically, this is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had said would happen. And in that passage, he says, extraordinary things are going to happen. The sun will be darkened. The moon will turn to blood. All of that, just like what Jesus says here. What does that tell us? Well, I think that tells us, let's be good Bible students. Let's not have the scripture say things that uh, it doesn't mean. I tell people, and you've heard me say, don't, uh, when you're studying the Bible, don't check your brain at the door. Think through things. Do your homework. Study about it. And when we do, we realize that this is uh, talking about something that's going to be extraordinary. And as Jesus himself says, uh, this is going to happen before this generation passes away. And so I do believe because of that statement, I do believe that Jesus, at least in parts of Mark 13 and Luke 21 and Matthew 24, that he is talking about that uh, event, uh, a, a horrible, terrible event when Jerusalem was sacked by uh, the Romans. And, and I think that that's what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about those things and those days and, and something that's going to happen um, before this current generation passes away. Then that leads us to the last part, which I think is the most significant part. Mark 13, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And that's the message he's trying to give us. Verse 32, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to what? Keep watch. Verse 35, therefore keep watch because you don't know where the, when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It's just amazing to me that in spite of clear teaching from Jesus in this paragraph, that we will not know the time. We cannot know. And that that should not be our emphasis. Our emphasis should be on being watchful, being ready, being alert every single day. Jesus explicitly says no one knows when that time is going to come. He explicitly says in verse 35, therefore keep watch because you don't know 
when that owner of the house is going to return. And he tells stories like he does at the end, towards the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, these stories that talk about the end of the world and really the message is the same. Be ready, be watchful, be alert. And it won't matter. The when question does not matter if you're doing the what. If you're living the way Jesus called us to live, then whenever he comes, if it's today, if it's a thousand years after my death, it won't matter because I know that Jesus will take care of me because I have been watching for him to return. Jesus talks about that and he says, look, be alert. Uh, nobody knows when, so stop asking that. Ask yourself, how should I be living today in the event that he does come back now? And how should I be living today to honor the fact that that tomb is empty and that he has promised that he will return. Again, 2 Peter 3 says, the day of the Lord will come. We don't know when, um, and it may be another 2,000 years or more, but that day will come. And so therefore, what kind of person ought you to be? What kind of life ought you to be living? Jesus says it's a life of being watchful. It's a life of being ready. It's a life given over to Jesus Christ, seeking to fulfill his word, seeking to love the Lord our God with everything about us and to love our neighbor as ourself. Mark 13 verse 32 clearly answers the when question. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. So stop being caught up and looking for all the signs. Jesus says there's always going to be signs. There's always going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's always going to be earthquakes. There's always going to be these kinds of things happen because that's the nature of this world. And that just means that the world is going on. But one day Jesus will come. One day the Father will send him and will put uh, an end to this. Jesus answers the more important question than the when question. And that is, so what? If he is coming, if the tomb is empty and one day he will return, so what? What difference does that make in my life? And does my life uh, confirm that I do believe that he was raised from the dead and that I do believe that he ascended and that I do believe that one day he will return and all of these things will be destroyed and we will find ourselves first before the throne of God in judgment but because of the blood of Jesus Christ in whom we have trusted and sought to obey, that'll be okay. And that'll just be the beginning of our eternity in the presence of the Lord. This discussion in Mark begins when the disciples ask the wrong question. When? <laughs> Jesus tempts them a little bit, gives them that little hook, says not one stone will be left on another. This place is going down and they want to know when. When is that going to happen? What will be the signs? And Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you signs. How about non-signs? How about remembering that things are going to happen? That's the nature of this world. But if you're living faithfully, if you're in obedience to my teaching and my word, if you're loving your neighbor as yourself and serving others the way I have come and served you, then you're going to be all right whenever that is. It doesn't matter when. That question will not be answered in scripture or anywhere else. But the question that is answered is, how should we live? We live, as the old song says, the old hymn, trusting and obeying.
Uh, we trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. We trust because we don't have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And so we trust in him and we seek to obey him. It starts with uh, the disciples asking the wrong question when, and this chapter ends with Jesus giving the final word in this discussion. Watch, watch, be watchful, be alert, be ready. May God bless us all towards that end.